Well, good morning. We've come to uh, the time in the church service where we normally have a sermon. Today, it's more of a meditation, reflection, bridging Thanksgiving and Christmas. We'll come to that in a moment or two. Uh, as is my custom, sometimes if there's time, I'd like to give a little bit of update on the status of the teaching ministry uh, because North River helps me with that. You support that effort, and I am grateful for that. Uh, so let me just give a few minutes of update, and then we'll get into our text. And it's so good to see you this morning. The song is, uh, the singing is just terrific. I mean, oh Lord, oh Lord. I remember the first time I heard that as a visitor to the church over 40 years ago. And I thought, that this is just amazing. If, if that's the only song we ever sang, I would be happy as a clam. Okay. So since, uh, since the last time I was before you uh, t- in Tennessee, a number of us were in Tennessee for the National Disciple Making Forum, uh, which was uh, really great. If you haven't heard about it, you can learn about it later. There's the, the, cha- the agent, the one driving it, Bobby Harrington, a member of a sister church um, up in Nashville. I just came back from New England just a few days ago. Uh, most, I was at two conferences in Rhode Island, and then I drove up to Boston and uh, some really cool stuff. Chances for me to learn. I'll be in Salt Lake City in two days, and this is the topic they gave me. Um, I'm wondering what other religious books they had in mind when I'm teaching in Salt Lake City. I do know that there's a fellow I met at a conference over 10 years ago who's a member of the Latter-day Saints, and he's coming. He's my guest, so I, I will certainly, it would be um, disingenuous of me to not address a certain book of Mormon. Oops, I said it. Okay. But we're going it, to, it's an evidences presentation. I'll be in Denver uh, teaching in our, kind of our sister AIM program over there, and also for Reasonable Faith, an apologetics ministry. Uh, next year, I, I just, a couple things. You may remember a few months ago, uh, two of the leaders, uh, two of the couples in leadership in the Chinese city of Guangzhou spoke here. Uh, Dan and Mary Allison and uh, Stephen and June also were there. And they said, come, so it's working out. Vicky and I are gonna go to uh, Guangzhou next year and very excited about that. Also be in uh, Myanmar. They've been begging for a return visit. Uh, If you're not clear on the geography, look up at the map. You see the triangle, that's about where Guangzhou is, right opposite Taiwan. And then uh, Yangon, the capital of Myanmar, right over there on the left side, near, near Thailand. Um, I got my tickets for Cuba a few days ago. Very excited about the chance to go there. Pr- please pray for that because sometimes weird things happen diplomatically uh, in, in countries. Um, and that could mess it up. But so far, so good. I'm very grateful to Delta Airlines, Atlanta, and especially to North River. Well, um, there <laughs> yeah. Equal. No, I put you just ahead of Delta. No, okay. There's so many cool things. We'll be teaching AIM in a number of countries uh, in the Mediterranean, uh, Mediterranean, in the Caribbean, in uh, Africa. Uh, we have our Israel tour. Uh, I'll be speaking in Macon as well uh, sometime in the first quarter. Macon is the triangle on the left there. Not the right. That's Guangzhou. Okay, there you go. And Macon, that's cool. And uh, uh, some other places. And Lord willing, uh, we'll have... Uh, the annual debate, this debate with Sheikh Shabir Ali here, this is the provisional date, and that's the title I've suggested, Muhammad or Jesus, Who Shows Us God? But if we had it here, uh, would you come? Would you bring a friend? Would you bring a Muslim friend? I mean, it, it'll be respectful, I promise. Well, so that's just a little bit of update. Uh, life is busy, life is good. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving 
which is typically a harvest festival, even if it's not called Thanksgiving. That's something common worldwide. I mean, that's just all over the world. They have it in Australia before the Europeans. They have it in Africa. It's obviously in the United States. Uh, it's a time for family and feasting, uh, not necessarily football, although that can happen as well. But this period of time between Thanksgiving and Christmas can be a great time, can be a God-focused time, or it can be a time where you just coast and sputter and die out and wind down a very mediocre kind of year. We can finish light or we can finish strong. It can become a time of ingratitude, and you've heard the phrase, turkey coma. And you eat too much, you know what happens. I think the Lord wants us not to be uh, in, in such a state of, of unfocus, but rather bright and chirpy and alert, uh, the way we should be, right? Okay. So when it comes to Thanksgiving, what does the Bible actually say? I mean, obviously, there's no, there's no Thanksgiving ceremony in the Bible. There's no special holiday uh, any more than there's a Martin Luther King Day or George Washington's birthday. What does the Bible say? Well, you may remember in the Old Testament, if you were feeling so moved, you could bring a Thanksgiving offering to the Lord. Certain sacrifices, sacrifices of grain or animals, small or large, um, or, or even liquid sacrifices were required depending on sin and depending on the occasion. But if you just wanted to go above and beyond, they had the opportunity uh, to give thanksgiving offerings in the tabernacle later in the temple. Well, the New Testament does not, take, uh, does not absorb any of the Old Testament uh, feasts, festivals, uh, uh, legal regulations, although the New Testament invites us to study the law because the law is fulfilled in Christ. It is no more, but you can still be very inspired by it. In the New Testament, though, we have many exhortations to pray gratefully. I mean, think of some of Paul's letters. Maybe Philippians comes to mind. And so there's no regulated, uh, okay, here's what you do if you want to make a special Thanksgiving offering. But we do find verses like the one in the last chapter of Hebrews, the fruit of lips that praise his name. We, we should be in a thank, thankful mood at all times. But today, we're not looking at the people of God of the Old Testament, nor the people of God of the New Testament. I'm going to focus on beings. I've never taught about this before, but it's something that hit me when I was reading Revelation recently. And we're going to focus on Revelation 7.12. The whole sermon comes from that one verse. The whole meditation comes from there. Now, we may think of angels primarily as servants. Hebrews 1 says, don't focus on the angels. They're just messenger boys. They're just uh, serving behind the scenes. Uh, Christ is incomparably above the angels. Angels are just servants. But they're more than just servants they are individual entities as well. And we find them singing and praising God. Not, O oh Lord, O oh Lord, but the song before had the phrase, kind of a strange phrase, which is good because it makes you think. Uh, flaming tongues above. Is that it, Sherwin? You say, what, flaming tongues above? What is that, like a, a mild oath or curse? Flaming tongues above. No, it's talking about angels because there's the passage in the Psalms and Hebrews um, he makes his angels flames of fire. So the flaming tongues above, those are angels. Angels deliver messages, 
But angels also worship God. They praise him. And we've never thought of that very much. Okay, there's that verse in Hebrews that says, basically, when we're together as the church, in some sense, the angels are part of the same assembly. We don't see them. I'm not saying they're directly above us. I, I, I don't think it's anything you can measure like that. I'm just simply trying to say my, my theme, my text today, it's not off the wall. It's, it's biblical. Just because I have never taught about it doesn't mean it's not important. It means I'm still learning. So we're going to look at verse 12, but let's get the context. After this I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all tribes, peoples, languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, singing, I don't know the tune, so I'll just say it, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Sevenfold praise. There is actually a tune, because I think this is come to think of it, part of Handel's Messiah. Okay. <laughs> I didn't th remember that when I was uh, working on the message. But you'll notice there's seven things that are ascribed to God, from blessing to might, seven in all. Can you see that? Let me arrange them this way. So we have praise, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, and strength. In today's reflection, we're focusing on the central item in that list, number four and that is thanksgiving. So angels are thankful. Angels give to God. Well, this is something. Um, if you read Greek, uh, you'll notice the word thanksgiving, which we're going to return to in the communion time. It's right there. But this is a God-directed attitude. Something else struck me when I was studying this passage you can see it now that I've, I've transliterated it for you. See that word, hey, 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 hey? That's, that means it's a feminine noun following. All seven of those are feminine. Interesting. You know, feminine. Yeah, they say amen. All of these, you know, praise in Greek, that's feminine. You can see the word, okay? See it on the top right? Elogia. We get the word eulogy. Praise, doxa, same thing. Sophia, eucharistia, time, dunamis, and iscus, strength, not fish. So this is a sevenfold praise given to God by the angels. So why should we focus on that? Well, I think there's a great example here. Angels are thankful. You might wonder, why are they thankful? Don't they have it made? Didn't Paul say, you're either the elect angels or you're those reprobate angels in Tartarus? Uh, we read about, read about it in 2 Peter 2. Well, the challenge of today's reflection is not that we be thankful. I, mean, I guess I could say, let's be thankful, church. But it's a little bit more focused than that. It's not even to be God-focused during this extended season, this holiday season, though that too is good. My challenge is for us to think about this. Why are angels grateful? Why do they sing Thanksgiving? What does that mean for us? 
And the thing that seems most obvious in the book of Revelation, in these pictures, is that the angels are in the presence of the Lord. And when you're in the presence of the Lord, you can really see God. Now, maybe you're not having a vision right now in row three. You, you yeah, maybe you don't have a, a vision there, Jamie. But we can have a vision of God before us if we intentionally think about the word, think about God, be aware of his presence, and so forth. And to the extent that we do that, I think we're grateful. It's hard to be ungrateful when you see God. Now, 1 John 3 says that one day we'll see God just as he is. We'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. But just imagine, this is the angelic uh, assembly. This is not even the human assembly. It's just a piece of art. Don't get critical. I know angels don't have wings in the Bible, but they certainly do in medieval art. Okay. Well, is this challenging? It's challenging if you let it be. If I listed all the times I failed to say thank you or give thanks or act in a thankful way, I'd probably have to write a book because uh, there would be hundreds or thousands of instances. But one especially uh, I felt bad about uh, because I don't, I'm not sure I ever apologized for this one. But there was a, there was a brother. We planted a church in London in 82. I, w I was pretty young. Uh, well, I was pretty young. That's fair. So I'm, uh, I'm 23. I reached out to my boss at work. Um, he became a Christian. He was 60, uh, which shows some degree of humility right there. And one day, uh, he said, you want to come over? So uh, I stayed the night. But this is something I think we probably all did a lot as adolescents. Uh, the next morning, I kind of slept in. As I recall, it was around Thanksgiving time. Now, in England, they don't have Thanksgiving as such. So I could let myself off the hook. But I, I remember he made breakfast for me. He served me. He asked me if I'd like to get up now. He took care of me. He was washing the dishes. And I, you know, I, I thanked him for that. And I think it was the next week, one of the brothers who was helping to uh, mentor me said, well, you're... You're, I heard about your time with Roy. Roy says you were pretty lazy. He was actually really surprised. You know, you're, you're a Christian, and, you know, you weren't really helping out at all. Well, how did I feel about that? Uh, pretty bad. Firstly, because he's a young Christian. Secondly, because he's my boss. Thirdly, because he's four times my age, or almost. But we do things like, like, all the time. We may not even be aware of the lack of gratitude until someone says, you know, this affected people. Your lack of engagement, your lack of expression, your lack of service. For many, holiday times are times where you want to be served. But there are always people who are doing serving. You can't have a good Christmas if everyone is just saying, serve me. So I don't know what you've done. Um, I've got a huge, long list of things I'm ashamed of, should have been more thankful, should never let that happen. I should have been up early. I should have set my alarm. I didn't have one, though. But I should have got up and helped him. When it comes to being grateful, I think if I was living more in the presence of God, it would not have occurred to me to abuse his hospitality or to take it for granted. In short, when we're really living in the presence of God, 
we will be thankful. What can we do to see God? Spending time in the Word, reflecting on the Word, being mindful of the season, prayer, not complaining. If you, just, just, if you feel any negativity, any of that sour uh, breath coming out of your mouth, and that negativity or complaining, just nip it in the bud. Think about Christ biblically during the season. To go through Christmas season and not be grateful people is just wrong. I mean, it's not just suboptimal. If we're Christians, it's, it's wrong. It's very wrong. If you want more, I could help you a little bit. I've got a Thanksgiving article and a Thanksgiving sermon. You can find where I normally put those things. If you want a Christmas article, similar thing there. For these next four days, that is the last four days of November, if you want to become more thankful, the Bible's full of passages to help. And I thought particularly of of the story of Jesus and Simon the Pharisee and the woman, uh, the story of the 10 lepers, and I picked some of the Psalms. So if you're interested in that, go for it. And also, to help us further, starting January 1, there'll be, as there is every year, a series of daily quiet time Bible studies. These will be based on the Gospel of John and it'll run for 30 or 40 days. So do what you need to do. You can't just focus on God in the abstract. We need to focus on God by taking time out of our schedule to think intentionally. This probably involves reading or listening to the Bible, which is easy to do these days. But let's think biblically about Christ this season, and let's observe modesty, not extravagance in the materialistic sense, but modesty and moderation, which is what the Bible talks about. When we truly live in the presence of God, we will indeed be thankful. Think of those angelic uh, praises, those sevenfold praise, and that number four in particular, which is thanksgiving. This is what I hope we would think about during the Lord's Supper. And this is something I wanted to share with you. When you look at these words, the middle word of that angelic praise is the word orastia, orastia, which thanksgiving where we get the word Eucharist. Now, if you're familiar with Catholic, Orthodox, Episcopal, etc., cetera, uh, church style, you know the word Eucharist. A lot of you know the word Eucharist because it's, it's a word for communion. It's pretty much a synonym. However, Eucharist means thanksgiving. That's the meaning of it. And so that's the attitude we're supposed to have during every Lord's Supper, not a dour, let me st- stare at my toes attitude, but an attitude of true gratitude to God and to one another, that horizontal element in communion. Eucharistia is a term for communion. Let's pray with that in mind. Lord, we've often fallen short, not just of the way we should be living as your children. We fall short of our own standards, which are generally lower. We express and we proclaim and then we don't do. When we lift our eyes above and consider the angelic host proclaiming your name and offering you sevenfold praise and to realize even the angels are grateful in your presence, beholding your face, they give us something to aim for ourselves. In this time of remembering what Jesus did, we don't want to be 
lazy. We don't want to take him for granted. We don't want to embarrass the church. We want to be thankful. And so, Lord, help us as we take the bread and the wine, remembering who Jesus is, his body and bread, help us to have a different attitude, an attitude that will stretch through this season right into a new year. And for that, we pray in Jesus' name.